From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee, our webpage, fpcelizabethton.org. I continue my conversation this week with Professor Ted Olson. He is Professor of Appalachian Studies and American Folk Music Instructor at East Tennessee State University. He has written, edited, or co-edited 15 books, including Blue Ridge Folklife, a Tennessee folklore sampler, and the Bristol Sessions, writing about the Big Bang of country music, as well as the Johnson City Sessions, Can You Sing or Play Old Time Music? He's also the author of a book of poetry, which we're going to speak about today, called Revelations. Dr. Olson also teaches uh, religious courses at uh, East Tennessee State University. Can you tell us a little bit about the religious courses that you teach? I teach uh, an undergraduate and a graduate level class in Appalachian religious history. And both of these classes are fascinating because everybody who takes those classes, and, and certainly as the instructor, I, I put myself in this category, we're all learners. We're all trying to understand the mystery that is religious experience and in an Appalachian context that's also an issue of a religious experience that's widely misunderstood from a national perspective and sometimes stereotyped. Mm -hmm. So in these classes uh, I see my one of my roles as helping to lead a group in kind of collectively deciphering the the, the the heart of the mystery, get a little closer to understanding why things developed historically as they did from a religious perspective, and then also to debunk stereotypes that have been kind of thrust upon the region from the outside. You know, having been kind of raised outside of Appalachia, I'm pretty perceptive, I hope, to the kinds of perceptions of Appalachia that come from outsiders. You know, one of the reasons I feel that I'm in Appalachia today is that I grew up around people who were uh, saying very negative things about Appalachia whenever they thought about Appalachia. And I knew that what they were saying was inaccurate, and I knew that it was unfair, and I knew that the story was much more complicated, and so I've kind of gone on a voyage of discovery. And so, yes, uh, my own religious background is somewhat, I suppose, complex, but then again, probably many people's experiences with religious experience would be considered complex. But as far as where I'm coming from, many of the poems in this book, Revelations, uh, were first written, or at least a number of them, particularly several that have religious themes, were written while I was uh, teaching in Spain in, in, in 2008. And in essence, in Spain, I witnessed a centuries old kind of Catholic culture that was questioning the very basis of its historical precedent. In other words, a lot of my peers in Spain did not go to church. They openly questioned the authority of of church leaders. And at first, of course, I didn't understand the the backstory. But as I talked with these folk in Spain, I realized I was living in Barcelona at the time, teaching at the University of Barcelona and the Autonomous University of Barcelona at two schools. Uh, But many of these folk in Barcelona had witnessed their parents and their grandparents having been basically ostracized uh, by a dictatorship that was supported 
by the Catholic Church, upheld by the Catholic Church, namely the Franco dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And so what I witnessed around me in, in Spain was a great deal of ambivalence about faith. Um, now, I, I do want to say that the people I met were extremely spiritual in a sense, but they didn't necessarily choose to exercise that spirituality in a traditional kind of environment. So they, they kind of took their spirituality into the realms of art and music and, and, and you know, just in, into their own kind of informal social settings. So some of these poems here in this book, Revelations, are my own experience in the milieu of Barcelona, kind of trying to uh, relate my own experience, my own, um, I don't want to say ambivalence, but my own questioning of, you know, religious assumptions in the context of a deeply rooted but deeply kind of wounded uh, religious culture, namely the the, the uh, Barcelonan uh, response to Catholicism. So that's where a poem like Reveli- Revelations comes from. Yeah, would you read that for us? Sure. Revelations. I see the sun's set to go down soon, yet tomorrow's light may glow as yesterday, and all future dawns will merge with the ones long ignored. It's clear why a mountaineer awaits, curious, heaven's nebulous design, to face it, hoping to trace it, an amorphous shape that's on the brain's map, clouding the center of a torn paper from a worn Bible, hardly visible. Because of it, I, buried beneath sky, dream now of flying beyond what's trying to keep me bound here, the beauty, the fear. Revelations, the poem from which Ted Olson's book, Revelations, gets its name. That last line, buried beneath sky, dream of now flying beyond what's trying to keep me bound here. Is that, is that, is that personal? Is that autobiographical? I suppose at some level a poem has to be autobiographical at some level. Um, after all, you know, when, when one writes a poem, it's generally in what might be called kind of a white heat. You know, it's not premeditated. It can't really work if it's premeditated. So it happens when one is maybe not trying to be conscious of what one is doing. But that being said, for something to kind of leak through the subconscious or the, you know, the unconscious, as it were, uh, an experience has to have already been lived. One already has to have kind of struggled with a concept or, or a feeling. And so I suspect that there's that autobiographical sense here. Um, we've all probably had our own struggles with faith. And mm-hmm. we all resolve them in various ways. I suppose some resolve their struggles by denying that faith is a worthwhile thing for them. And others are kind of maybe more ready to take on an, kind of an ambivalent relationship with their, with their spiritual world. Others, I suppose, want something more assured. Um, not suggesting one is better than the other here. I don't mean mm-hmm. to judge. I suppose this poem comes from a place of, of some ambivalence based on ex- personal experience in, in churches and, and such. And I suppose one might say, or I might say, that uh, I've found spirituality in the natural world to be, a, to be, if not the only way in which to experience spirituality, at least a very valid way. 
probably why I've found myself living in the natural world most of my adult life in, in you know, in very remote locations where people question, what are you doing there? And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I'm actually connecting to something meaningful and, you know, it feels like a good place to be. But uh, then again, I suppose people can feel a great deal of, uh, of joy and, and power, spiritual and, and uh, kind of emotional power by living in a city. So it's just a matter of where people are coming from. Ted Olson, my guest, is the uh, author of a book of poetry uh, called Revelations, poems by Ted Olson. And uh, also in, in this wonderful collection of poems, you also talk about um, uh, Earth and our, and our place in it. There are just a couple of, of poems that really, you know, elegy or a wilderness area or questions or progress, the progress of concrete, I think was one of the lines in there. And uh, and, and, there, and one of the... Um, Poems of Lemmings, um, the boy watching men watch around march. He fears their path is fixed. Uh, do you do you ever wonder a sense uh, that our path is kind of fixed? Is there a sign of hope for us as we think about the natural world and the changes that are happening and and the changes that uh, we're undergoing as a society? Well, I do know that uh, that the poem has a bit of a fatalistic kind of conclusion. I suppose that would be one way to describe it. Um, a poem is not a definitive final statement of mm -hmm. one's kind of theological position. A poem is a step on the journey of life. But I do know that this is a perspective that I had when I was growing up. You know, I lived in a big city that was Washington, D.C., that was inherently politi political and politicized and filled with tensions. You know, it was during the kind of the period after the civil rights era when people were kind of re kind of renegotiating uh kind of relationships in the in the city and it seemed to me and then add to that you know there was some fear that there was a you know imminent nuclear event that might occur in washington washington dc or elsewhere so i think that this is a poem that comes from a sense of being young and knowing more than anyone understands that you know, but not knowing enough to see the ultimate peace that can come when one is grown and free to, to move, to, 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 to change one's circumstance, to, to take a stand for things one believes in. So this is very much from the perspective of a, of a child who's seen through the veil of his parents you know, and and understands their fallibility and their suffering, and empathizes with them, but doesn't know how, what the way out is yet. Maybe, maybe one's own spirituality is not developed to the point where one can find some kind of psychic release. And so this, this book is kind of structured to follow, kind of the, awakening of consciousness through one's life. And there are eleven chapters in here. And this is, you know, this poem. Uh, Lemmings. Lemmings comes from the first one. The first one. So this is kind of the, kind of the youthful, uh, you know, fear and and uh, mm -hmm. fear and loathing, as they say, but also hope. You know, there's an element of of naive hope that uh, hopefully gets somewhat realized later in the book. You know.
Ted Olson, my guest on Religion for Life, a poet, author of Revelations, uh, a new book of poetry uh, published by Celtic Cat uh, in 2012. He's also the professor of Appalachian Studies, American folk music instructor at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and uh, producer of, of, of music and, and also a banjo player. And you have a song that... Uh, uh, th- that you're going to play for us now, uh, sing for us now, uh, The Fox. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. When I used to give programs on the Blue Ridge Parkway, the people would show up from miles around, sometimes from around the world. And this would be at the campground there at Mount Pisgah in Western Carolina. I gave talks and music performances there twice a week for years. Oftentimes people would show up and really happy to be there in this beautiful part of the world, uh, surrounded by rhododendron groves and beautiful kind of you know oak and, and maple forests all around them. But they wouldn't necessarily know much about the culture. And as I said, they often came with preconceived notions. I found that folk songs were the best way to confront people who came from that situation of not really knowing much about Appalachian culture or maybe being very self-aware that they were filled with stereotypes that they were maybe not necessarily comfortable with. I found that folk songs communicated the experiences of mountain folk much more effectively if I sang those songs to people than if I just stood there and talked. You know, mm-hmm. as, as an Absolutely. outsider to the mountains. But, I mean, even if I were born and raised within the mountains, I feel that music has a great power to communicate at a fundamentally deep level um, to people. And people respond to it. You know, almost they t- turn off their logic-chopping minds and just kind of open themselves to the experiences conveyed in the, in, in the music. So I would perform the uh, hour-long concerts of folk songs from Appalachia. And The Fox was one of my very favorite songs for communicating what it would have felt like to have lived in the Appalachian frontier in the early years of settlement. Because the song talks about the wily fox, you know, from old European mythology, you know, stealing the goose from the farmer's coop and whatnot and taking it back to his lair. And the farmer basically being helpless to defend himself and his family. Um, and, and so the fox comes out really the s- smarter than the people in the song. And to my mind, that expresses a great deal about a, a different sense of justice within mm-hmm. the, you know, defined by nature as opposed to by people. Because in the song, the farmer recognizes he's been outfoxed, but he doesn't necessarily complain. He just recognizes that that's the natural order of things. You know, some of what a farmer tries to raise, you know, for his own family's food supply, some of that's going to be taken from him by the natural creatures all around him. And that there's a kind of a code of mutual respect conveyed in the song. So that's that's why I like that song. And just a real awareness, a real connection, a real respect uh, for the world in which we live, the natural yeah. world. Absolutely. And so that's that's... That's the beauty of folk music. It's the music of, of the folk, of, of you and of me. If, you know, everybody listening to this program, this music is theirs. As long as they are willing to give it an audience, it, it has potential meaning for them. That's, that's why I try to keep this old music alive. I, I, feel that, uh, I feel that folk music is the deepest music, and uh, not just folk music of any one cultural situation either, but 
all folk musics have great value because I think it's the expression of the deepest part of humanity, the kind of the collective unconsciousness of a, of a people, again, expressing their values, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their aspirations. Went out on a chilly night, prayed for the moon to give him light, for it many a mile to go that night, for he'd reached the town all, town all, town all, many a mile to go that night, for he'd reached the town all. He ran till they came to the great big bin, the ducks and the geese were put there and said, A couple of you will grease my chin, for I leave this town all, town all. Town all, couple of you will grease my chin for I leave this town all. He grabbed the gray goose by the neck, slung a little one over his back. He didn't mind their quack, 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 legs all dangling down all, down all, down all. He didn't mind their quack, 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 with legs all dangling down all. Old mother pitter-patter jumped out of bed. Out of the window she cocked her head. She cried, John, John, the great goose is gone. Fox is on the town oh, town oh, town oh. John, John, the great goose is gone. And the fox is on the town oh. So John ran up to the top of the hill. Blew his horn, bolt loud and trill. Fox, he said, I better play with my kill. For they'll soon be on my trail oh, trail oh, trail oh. He said, I better flee with my kill, but they'll soon be on my trail, oh. So the fox went back to his cozy den. There were little ones, eight, nine, ten. He said, Daddy, Daddy, better go back again. Must be a mighty fine town, oh. Town, oh. Town, oh. Daddy, Daddy, better go back again, for it must be a mighty fine town, oh. Then the fox and his wife, without any strife, Cut up the goose with a fork and knife. They never had such a sup in their life. Little ones chewed on the bones, oh. Bones, oh. Bones, oh. They never had such a sup in their life. And little ones chewed on the bones, oh. Ted Olson, professor of Appalachian Studies at East Tennessee State University, is my guest on Religion for Life. He's sharing with us some of his poetry uh, from his book, Revelations. Would you like a short, kind of more humorous poem? I would. Okay. Let's do that. Fruit Stand I don't suppose your dirt road goes from here to town. It was sundown at a fruit stand. A calloused hand took my money for some honey without a word. Then he answered, Ain't gone nowhere since you parked there. I love that poem. I mean, I, 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 I hear that language. Uh, as, as I communicate with it, there's, there's, there's a... Um, just kind of a slowing down and having having fun and uh, taking things literally to the extreme. It's it's a beautiful way of communicating. It's there's uh, there's almost a self-deprecating aspect of that, isn't there? Not taking yourself too seriously. I'm not sure. Is that is that what you find in that? Right. I, I would say that many of the poems in this book, Revelations, just happened. You know, I would be in the case of this poem driving down near the Blue Ridge Parkway a few years back and encountering this very situation. You know, it's true to life. What could one ask more from a poem than having a poem express a true experience 
without any adornment or very uh, relatively little adornment. I mean, I think sometimes people shy away from poetry because it's maybe self-conscious or something like that. But my favorite poems are those poems that are almost invisible. You know, they, they just bring us into an experience that's, you know, an everyday sort of experience that is utterly meaningful, but an experience that we sometimes overlook because we're not always attuned to what's happening around us. And I hope that that poem kind of serves as an example of what a poem can do in terms of opening up the everyday world to people. Yeah, you you wrote uh, in, in in one of your poems, "Blood Work." Uh, you're talking about um, when your heart starts working. Your poem's done. It's a it's a matter. It's not a logic type of uh, uh, process, is it? It's it really has to do with uh, intuitive. Uh... Well, it would strike me that the real goal of writing a poem, at least from my perspective, would be to get closer to the truth. Now, maybe not the truth with a capital T, but a truth. Mm-hmm. And again, I think all too often poetry is kind of self-conscious. It's kind of showy, wanting to be noticed for the cleverness with which you know the poet pieced it together. And some of that is absolutely you know meritorious. People should praise the linguistic, you know trickery or, you know, skill that a poet brings to using words to convey a thought or, or a feeling. But on the other hand, if I can get closer to some, a revelation of some truth without worrying about how sophisticated my language is or whether an image is absolutely original in every way, I mean... That's what I'm really seeking to accomplish in the first place. So a, a line such as, when your heart starts working, your poem's done, is really what a poem's all about, is to get you connected to, to, to life. You know, heart here being kind of an obvious uh, reference to an engaged life, you know, where you're, where you're instinctively involved with the world around you, unselfconsciously, just, just, just happy to exist. Then you don't need a poem after that. Your your life becomes the poem. Words, you know, cease to really help you in in that kind of realm of uh, pure existence. And so I suppose that's what that refers to. One of the hopeful poems that I found there, and there are many, but there's one that was um, Procession uh, on page 17. Would you read that one too? Of course. Procession. Grandfather's Lesson. Rise in the morning, however tired, walk toward the sun, and pray. Your pain will lessen. Minding his warning, I try not to balk on his burial day. In slow procession, I walk on mourning. That is good. It sounds like good advice from uh, grandparents to... Get up every day and do it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's life too, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I can certainly vouch to say that uh, many of my, uh, shall we say, smarter kind of decisions made throughout my life were guided by wisdom conveyed to me by 
elderly people. So this poem comes from that true experience of having learned from, a, from grandparents about uh, how to address the inevitable peaks and valleys of life. Speaking with Ted Olson, uh, author of the book Revelations. He's a professor at East Tennessee State University, and this is a collection of poems. And uh, you, on this cover, you have a symbol of, uh, looks like concentric circles. What, what is that? Well, it's a good question exactly what this is. This is modernist art at its best. This was an artistic uh, creation of a Spanish painter named Eduardo Aranz Bravo. Aranz Bravo is often thought today as maybe Spain's greatest living artist, or certainly among them. He's a tremendous individual. I've had the good pleasure to communicate with him for a few years here, um, having first seen his work in San Francisco at a gallery there, but having heard about him when I was in Barcelona teaching in 2008, where it turns out he has now a, a museum and a foundation. So I felt like uh, our paths had kind of crossed in the past when I was in Barcelona, and I, when I saw his artwork in San Francisco about a year or two after that, I immediately identified the kind of the mysterious imagination of the Catalonian perspective of uh, Catalonia being a very distinctive kind of region of Spain, much as Appalachia is mm-hmm. a d- distinctive region of the United States. So um, it, was, it was quite the uh, kind of, uh, oh, I don't know, sense of, uh, of having arrived at a familiar place, having seen... Uh, Aranz Bravo's artwork there at the gallery in San Francisco. Well, after communicating with him, and as this book was getting created, I communicated specifically uh, to see if Aranz Bravo might possibly be willing to allow me to use one of his beautiful images for the cover of this book. I told him the title of the book, Revelations, and basically working through a, a kind of a middleman, uh, the, the, the gallery in San Francisco, Aranz Bravo in Barcelona started to kind of send images that I could consider. And uh, one of them was this image that you described, John, as concentric circles. Now, is this a picture of the moon rising through the fog? Is it a picture of kind of a double iris of an eyeball? Um, is it some other kind of uh, magical kind of image? Uh, I'm not sure. And, and of course, I didn't have the courage to ask the artist, you know, because he might not have taken, you know, this kind of literalist interpretation Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, uh, well, of course, as it turns out, he he has a very good sense of humor. And I'm sure he would have loved to have told me that it's whatever you want it to be, you know, that sort of thing. I I love the uh, artwork for a number of reasons. I think it's truly magical and, and, and mysterious. And you can look at it, you know, for hours and probably never quite figure it out. Um, But there's an interesting development that happened here. After Aranz Bravo gave me permission to use this piece of art on the cover of the book, and I sent him some copies in in gratitude for his generosity, Um, and he, he responded shortly thereafter saying it's going to be in my next exhibit. So through January 20th in Barcelona at the Aranz Bravo Foundation Museum, uh, this book, Revelations, is on display as a work of art um, mm. because his artwork is on the cover. Um, the theme of the exhibit is uh, Ron's Bravo and the Writers. So basically, illustrated books are on display at his museum. You know, it's it, it's just an interesting confluence of events that this place, Barcelona, Spain, that inspired this book and and it gave me 
an opportunity to kind of reinvestigate Appalachia when I returned from Barcelona. It kind of gave me some kind of sure. emotional and intellectual equipment with which to kind of reassess uh, the meaning of living in Appalachia in, in a larger kind of national framework. Um, then all of a sudden, this book goes back to Spain and becomes uh, Iran's Bravo's kind of statement about his vision of Barcelona, even though the contents of the book are more focused on Appalachia. So it's an interesting kind of situation, I suppose. Professor Olson, I want to thank you for being with me today. He's a professor of Appalachian Studies uh, at East Tennessee State University, uh, author of the book Revelations, Poems by Ted Olson. Dr. Olson, thank you for being with me on Religion for Life. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Schack, minister at First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our webpage is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about the program Religion for Life, including links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia. Be well.